If you're new with us, uh, yes, I'm making fun of my own staff. That's how we roll. Uh, my name is Chris Pate. I'm the lead pastor here and super excited about having you here to share with us your Christmas time. Christmas means Christ's mass, uh, literally, so where we observe the nativity, the birth of Christ and who he is. And so this is our Eve Eve service, and we're thankful to have you here. Welcome guests from out of town, friends and family, and so we're very excited to have you here. These last two weeks, we've been going through a series uh, we've entitled just simply Emmanuel. We've been looking at scripture and what Emmanuel means, which means God with us. And the name of Jesus, that is so powerful. We just sang about it. What a powerful name it is. He's the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, the name above all names, Scripture says, and what he's done for us, we get to celebrate and talk about. It actually reminds me of one of my favorite even commercials is uh, the most interesting man alive. Anybody like those commercials? I think Jesus is the most interesting man alive. I'm going to give you a few of the most interesting quotes um, about the most interesting man alive, not Dos Equis, but the man. You know, the most interesting man alive He gave his father the talk. The most interesting man alive. You're free to laugh. I know we're in church. When he drives a car off the lot, the price increases in value. The most interesting man alive. I like this one. Once a rattlesnake bit him, after five days of excruciating pain, the snake finally died. His feet don't get blisters, but his shoes do. He once went to the psychic to warn her. If he were to punch you in the face, you would have to fight off a strong urge to thank him. He can speak Russian in French. Superman has his pajamas with his logo. His tears can cure cancer. Too bad he never cries. The circus ran away to join him. Bear hugs are what he gives bears. He has never waited 15 minutes after finishing a meal before returning to the pool. If he were to visit the dark side of the moon, it wouldn't be dark. He once won a staring contest with his own reflection, the most interesting man alive. He can kill two stones with one bird. His signature won a Pulitzer. When a tree falls in a forest and no one is there, he hears it. He once got pulled over for speeding and the cop got the ticket. The dark is afraid of him. Sharks have a week dedicated to him. He lives vicariously through himself. He once taught a German shepherd how to bark in Spanish. He bowls overhand. That's my favorite one. It's like, picture that. What the? Wow. In museums, he is allowed to touch the art. He is allowed to talk about the fight club. The most interesting man alive. I think for sure of Jesus, his life, what he did, why he came, the culmination of all of the scriptures riding on him and his life and who he is. We've looked at this scripture and I want to look at it again, Matthew 1, which has been our theme scripture for this series. We've looked at Matthew, we've looked at Luke, and we've looked at how Jesus was born, saw the whole picture and the story together a few weeks ago says this. But as he, Joseph, is considering these things that Mary came to him and said she's pregnant, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. 
saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. What's in a name? The most interesting man alive. What's in calling someone a specific name? We've been looking at this idea of Emmanuel. God is now with us. And we've talked a lot about that. When God is with you, it doesn't mean everything is always easy. In fact, a lot of times when things are hard, that's why you need God with you. Because he's there to help you and comfort you, to push you through, to also pave the way and to show you things. Because God in a moment can bless you. That's not hard for him, but it's hard for him to make you the person that he's called you to be. And that is what he's trying to do. That is what he's doing in and through you. He, though, came and did the work through Jesus. And he was given this name, Jesus. Not by his parents, but by God himself, by an angel telling them, this is what you will name him. We understand what a name does and what it is. I don't think we get it quite as much as what they understood in their culture and their context. We, we, we give names and we give like kind of labels, maybe even for marketing. I know my subdivision is called South Fork. And then they named all the streets after a show called Dallas that was made in the 80s. Who shot JR? Anybody, anybody alive then? Okay, young crowd, young crowd. Um, um, so all the street names have different Dallas names and references from that. And so they were just like, okay, we want kind of a common theme. Here we go. But it wasn't a projection, like a prophecy, like it is in the first century. The parents would get the opportunity to name their child. And they wouldn't just have some, oh, I'm looking for a cool kind of name or something. You know, I'm going to name them Tree. Or, I mean, I'm, they're not doing that. They are actually prophetically speaking over them saying, this name is saying who you are and what I believe you're going to be and do. It is a calling that you put when you give a name to somebody and God gave the right to people to be able to name things. In fact, when God creates everything, he tells Adam, okay, now I want you to name all of the animals. And he gives him that right. Now, the naming of an animal is not taking ownership of them in order to abuse them, but it's actually a managing. God, you are the creator, you own them, but you've now made me the manager of that, per that thing and that animal, and I'm going to call it this accordingly because this is what I see in that animal. This is the certain things that it does. And then you name them accordingly. And in the scriptures, that was, that's what they would do. They would name them accordingly. And so, for instance, um, the Apostle Paul, who wrote a third of the New Testament, we know the Apostle Paul, his original name was Saul. And in that name was wrapped up all of this notoriety. He, he, Saul, was a brilliant man, 
orator, teacher, studied under the equivalent of the Ivy League, Harvard type credentials and degrees, doctorates, if you will. And he was studious. He knew multiple languages. He was not only a Hebrew or a Jew. He also was a, considered a Roman citizen, which cost money and time to be able to even do that. So he had these accolades in his name. People would know who Saul of Tarsus was. We know who Saul is. Maybe his lineage, his parents, he had grown up in a uppity or well-to-do home maybe that they, they, they put so much in him and believed in him. You're going to be great. And he created this name, kind of like what we do now. Like if you were to go to school and you have this education and people know you by this name and call you doctor or call you professor and you have maybe even written books or you have all these Instagram followers, which nowadays you can't even write a book hardly and get it published unless you have a huge platform. And that name means a lot. You say that name and it triggers certain things. I'm going to listen to that or I'm going to think about that. And this was Saul. And what happened to Saul is when Christ came into his life, he realized all of my accolades are worthless, are nothing if I don't have Christ. And he changed his name to a Greek name in order to reach the Gentiles and the Greeks. But what's interesting about the name he chose was Paul. I don't think he was just trying to rhyme. Paul literally means little. He went from prestige, you hear my name, you know who I am, say my name, say my name. When no one is around, you know, like, say my name. And yet, he said, now my name is little. Because compared to Christ, all of my deeds, all my works are nothing. And not just he saw himself little, as in low confidence. I think he was very confident and bold in the Lord, but he said, I'm going to appropriate myself now so I'm going to make sure when people hear me, they want to see a humble person, not a prideful person persecuting and killing people. Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, Peter's name was Simon. Simon was a very vacillating individual. He constantly was this way or that way and he was all over the map and you couldn't count on him. You didn't know what he was gonna do. Temperament all over the map and Jesus looks at him and says, you're no longer Simon. I'm gonna call you Peter, Petros, which means rock. You're gonna be solid because the kind of leader I'm gonna make in you, I need you to be stubborn, solid. And that's what I'm calling you now. See, there's so much in a name. What's interesting about this story is God didn't allow the parents to name their kid. In fact, John the Baptist as well, Jesus' cousin, there's a high priest, Zechariah, believed for God to have a baby with his wife, Elizabeth, and years, finally he's old, and God says, you're gonna have a baby, and he laughs, and God makes him mute, shuts him up. Because the power of his words, God made him be quiet. And then he finds out his wife is pregnant and God tells him, you're going to name, he's going to be a boy and you're going to name him John. He didn't say you get to name him, I'm naming him. You're going to name him John. And he's mute and Elizabeth has the baby we see in the scripture. And all the families around there, what are we going to name him? It's so important what we name him. This is what we do. This is how we manage where we're going. And Zechariah writes down, his name is John. And then it says, 
his tongue was released and he could talk. And he said, his name is John. Not the name I necessarily might have chosen, but the name that was chosen for him. What's interesting about Jesus as well is God comes to Mary and comes to Joseph and says, his name's Jesus. And he's gonna represent Emmanuel, God being with you. And here's the first of two points for today's message as we're thinking about God is with us. Number one, Jesus is unmanageable. See, God wouldn't even allow his parents to manage the name to take that level of, I'm going to manage you. How do you manage God? Now, Jesus did submit to his parents because he's godly and he obeyed the law. But there wasn't this effort in this point where God said, you know what? I'm just going to let you do whatever you want with him. He said, I've got a calling for him and he is not manageable. And that doesn't mean, again, because he's wild, but because he's God. I, I love... Uh, in the Chronicles of Narnia, the Chronicle, what of Narnia? It's such an awesome book and series by C.S. Lewis. And in this book, you have the character Aslan, who is this lion. And it represents Jesus. And this lion is said about him, he is good, but he is not tame. And I love that. You have a good, I can trust you, but if I try to manage you, I'm now creating a category where you're no longer a lion. You're a kitty cat that I manage. What's interesting about the holidays, I mean, I don't know about you, but me, I actually went out, which was dumb, um, yesterday, the Saturday before Christmas, I was getting stuff for the church. You're welcome, the sacrifices. And it was horrible. <laughs> like, it was so crazy. Took forever to get anywhere. And people are nuts. I mean, I heard a mom talking to her kids a couple aisles down at a place I was at. And uh, she, I, I, she literally said, if y'all don't stop it, I swear I'm going to hit all of you. You know, she was all mad and frustrated. And I get it. I've got little kids too and, and, uh, and, and have had little kids too. And it, the craziness, just the drive and people cutting. I mean, I had this one car. I was in a line to turn right, and the car gets on the side of the road, dirt, and goes because he thinks we're all going straight, but it's a right lane, and he just goes past us. And I went, God, you idiot. And then I remember I've been reading Matthew, and in Matthew, Jesus says, if you even call someone an idiot, you're subject to hell. So I immediately went, oh, dang it. Uh, okay, Lord, maybe they need to go to the bathroom really bad. So now I'm like replacing like these evil thoughts for maybe they have a reason to do that. And I'm looking at myself going, okay. And I think in this season, because it's so crazy and chaotic and there's so many things going on and you're trying to get ready and work and, and holidays and, and prepare and all this kind of stuff, it's just like Mary and Joseph have Jesus at 12 year old. They take him to the temple and they lose him. They lose God. And yet they go to do these great traditional religious things and they left Jesus behind. They forgot about Jesus. How many times do we go about our life even doing things for Jesus, traditionally for Jesus, and yet Jesus isn't even with us because we're just doing our thing. Because what, a lot of times what we really want is a kitty cat, not a lion, we want a really good God that we can manage. I'm gonna tell you what to do. 
Because, see, the thing is, you're like, well, I wouldn't want God in my life if, like, he's going to tell me to do things I don't want to do. And that's exactly what Jesus does. If you've been saved more than like a second, you recognize, who did I just invite into my life? What just happened? Like not everything is easy and kosher and and now I get all my ways, but actually I've just invited a lion in and he's good and he has my good, but he is not tame and he is doing a lot of things in me that I don't want. That's who Jesus is. And even from the beginning, the angel said, you will not manage him. You will not name him like other parents. I'm naming him. He's unmanageable. And it's for your good he is unmanageable. In C.S. Lewis's book, Mere Christianity, he gives a beautiful, one of my favorite pictures of our life being like a house. Look at what he says. Imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house at first. Perhaps you can understand what he is doing. He is getting the drains right and stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You're going, yeah, God, I need your help with this, and I'm struggling with this, and my finances and my things. You're like, okay, good. He's fixing the plumbing. The drains, he's getting the drains right, stopping the leaks in the roof, and so on. You knew that those jobs needed doing, and so you were not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably. It does not seem to make any sense what on earth he is up to. The explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one you thought of. Throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage, but he is building a palace. He intends to come and live in it himself. It's profound and it's very true. Jesus is unmanageable because he's not here just for you and to do your will, but he's making you into something that he had all along for you to be. My second point is a beautiful understanding of the fact that Jesus makes the ordinary extraordinary. Not only is he this good, untamed lion, but even in the name of Jesus, you see the ordinary in the life of Jesus where he was birthed in a small town, grew up in Nazareth, no more than 100 people, rural town as a carpenter, an ordinary, and yet he became extraordinary. And this is what he does. He makes the ordinary extraordinary. What you might not know about Jesus is the name Jesus is not his real way you say his name. His name is Yeshua. Yeshua is actually also Joshua. We know in the Old Testament, there's a lieutenant named Joshua who was an understudy of Moses takes over when Moses dies. That's what we have the book of Joshua. Conquers the Canaanites, a lot of lands. What's interesting about Joshua, his actually name was Hoshua, which means salvation. And Moses came and changed it and added the Yeh, which is part of Yahweh. So now his name is 
Yeshua or Joshua, meaning not just salvation, but the Lord is our salvation. And Joshua was a very common, ordinary, like a Billy Bob in Texas or like a John Doe in Texas name in first century. This name, Jesus wasn't, it wasn't like a Percivious or like my, my daughter, Cadence, everybody calls her Candace. It's Cadence. She's very unique name. It wasn't like that, like this unique name. It was an ordinary, average, a lot of people. That's why they had, had to say things like, you mean Jesus of Nazareth? Yeah, that one. It was a common name. And yet the profound meaning of that name, God is our salvation, is beautiful. Because it speaks of God using not just extraordinary, but ordinary into extraordinary, like he does in our life. So many times we think we're going to have this like extraordinary thing and everything's going to be taken care of. And yet a lot of times God is fashioning and making us learn how to be extraordinary in the ordinary mundane things of life. When that family member comes against you or says something or you're believing something different and God goes, wait, 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 did you just call that person an idiot? And he checks you. Ooh, yeah, okay. Probably should think different. See, that's not just a small thing. That's extraordinary. Because that is the Holy Spirit speaking to you and going, I see that little area, of this wall. I'm going to knock that thing down because I'm creating a courtyard. I got something bigger. And we're always looking for the glamorous, which I believe should be part of our life as well. But Jesus came in the ordinary and then became extraordinary. So now that same ordinary name is the name above every name, is the name that can bowl overhanded, is the name that is prophetic and calls us to himself. You know what else that name says is that the name literally meaning salvation is of the Lord. I think it's easy to find salvation in and of myself, in and of my job, in and of my, my uh, company, salvation from a getting or not having a spouse or a baby. Like my salvation, I will feel better and I will feel completely whole if I had blank. And I think we all feel that blank. Salvation is of the Chris, is of the job. And we're reminded that, no, it's of the Lord. Only Jesus can save. Not something you do, not something you earn. Only him and what he did brought about that salvation. So much so you see this. He's born. His parents can't manage him. They lose him at 12 years old. He goes and he gets and develops these disciples with him that see him doing extraordinary things. And they're thinking, man, this is awesome. If we could package this, we could take this thing over. That's what they thought was gonna happen. We're gonna overcome Rome and we're gonna be a Jewish state again and government and I'm gonna be at the right hand of Jesus. This is their thought. I'm gonna manage this power and we're gonna take over the world. And Jesus dies and they're depressed and they don't understand what happens. He resurrects, he comes back to them. They get filled, baptized in the Holy Spirit, which means immersed in the Holy Spirit. And now they see differently and they start to now do extraordinary acts. You see, God was with them 
physically on earth. When he left them, they had to figure some things out. And they did. And here's the beautiful part. Check this out. Acts chapter 4. Jesus has resurrected. Jesus has given them a mandate. They start preaching the word of God with boldness. And this lame person gets healed. So much has changed in their life from ordinary people to extraordinary that other people start noticing. Look at this. Now, when they, the religious people, is the they, saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common, ordinary, they were astonished at the boldness that they spoke with, the authority that they carried as ordinary people. Look at this, and it says, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. Here's what happened. Jesus comes, birthed miraculously, does all these works, develops these men, and God is with them, and they're feeling good. The time Jesus dies, they feel like God's not with us anymore. And yet, there's a difference between saying, you know what, God is with me, and saying and being said of you, they are with him. Here's the difference. Um, me and my wife got to go out um, downtown, celebrate our 18th anniversary. That's, that's about as much as we can do right now. And uh, go to downtown Houston and get a steak and talking to people. And, and uh, my wife is, is beautiful. She looks so great. And it's, it's easy. Um, people will hit on her sometimes or she'll come home. Uh, from the grocery store and be like, man, this dude. And I'm like, oh, you're lucky I'm not there, right? Because I'm so strong. And so, um, why are you laughing? <laughs> um, <clears throat> I got bodyguards. Come on, Brando. And so, uh, a lot of times, like if I'm with her, or sometimes like somebody might try to pick her up or say something. And, and I'm like, she's with me, right? Like, mine, right? Uh, not my property, you got it, but like <laughs> my, like she's with me, da, 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 ring. Uh, and, and there's a difference between saying she's with me and I'm with her. There's a difference. What's the difference? When I say they're with me, is they're kind of about my agenda. Like they, and they're about my life and what, what I do. Like you're with me. That's my boys. They're with me. Let's go. I'm leading. Something shifted, I see, with the disciples. It wasn't just, God is with us. Look at all we're doing. Something shifted by Acts. When they powerfully got changed by the Holy Spirit and the resurrection of Christ to where now people are looking at them and going, when I see them, I see Jesus. I, I look at James and I know who James is. I know what James is like. And there's something different about him. He's been with Jesus. God's not just with him, he's with God. God's not just trying to go, what, what do you want to do today? Same thing we do every day, Pinky, take over the world. Like God, that's, God's not just like, hey, wake up, sunshine. He's over your bed. Just, hey, good morning. It's Christmas time, baby. What do you want? I, I would say because God is good and because he is loving and gracious, 
He does treat us like that a lot of times, but that's not his end game. Are we with God or are we just wanting God with us? It's a real question. See, if you don't realize God cannot be managed, then you're like, yeah, God's with me. That's why all these great things happen. Follow me. When people start going, and that ain't you. You're not that nice. You ain't that loving. I've been around you. We've had 15 Christmases together. You ain't that nice. But when there's a grace even in the ordinary that comes on you, it becomes extraordinary and people go, uh, you've been with Jesus. And I think that's when God is most glorified. Because see, when God sees you because of what Christ has done, you need to see this. God doesn't look at you alone. God doesn't go, there's Balaji. God goes, there's Christ. Not because Balaji's Christ, but because he was the exact trade for Balaji's life. And God is associating you so much with Christ. When you don't, you are not doing the gospel justice. And you are not lifting yourself high enough, not personally because of your accolades, but because of the worship of what Christ has done, the name of all names that I want to be with you. I want people to so see me, see my life and my love and my prayers that they go, man, they've been with God. That's what Christmas is about. It is about saying thank you that Jesus is our salvation, nothing else. And because of that now, I want people to know that I serve an unmanageable, good, loving God, and I want you to see him in me. And that's my question. Is God with you? Are you with God? Or are you trying to manage him? Are you forgetting about tapping into the extraordinary, even in the ordinary? Because that's what he does. That's who he is. I want you to pay attention to a video we showed a couple weeks ago talking about who Jesus is and how powerful he is. Check this out. We looked at the story of Matthew, Luke a few weeks ago, saw them together in the birth of Christ. The book of Mark doesn't really talk about the birth of Christ as much as it just starts right in with his ministry. The book of John, it's a beautiful book. We're going to study it this summer. In fact, the apostle John, I think, I know, we know from history that he was the last living apostle, longest living apostle. I believe he saw Matthew and Mark and what they wrote down and as kind of the elder and the last living, he writes his gospel last and creates a picture and a story for us that's beautiful. And he doesn't give the same narrative that Matthew and Luke do of Jesus' birth, the trials through Mary's perspective and Joseph's perspective. In fact, he gives 
a more general, broad, but very poetic picture, I think as he's contemplated everything over these years and how do I want to portray and help people understand who Jesus is, I want to read John 1, verses 1 through 18. John starts his gospel by saying this, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He, John, was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Beautiful words. I remember when I was 17, and I gave my life to Christ. The light of the world in darkness. He came to my life, wrecked me. And I thought I was an awesome person. And he starts breaking down things and opening up things in my life. I'm going, huh, wow. And not even close to, like I feel like I'm in perfection at all these 21 years later, but it's been such an adventure to follow this untamable lion who continues to craft me more and more into his image instead of me trying to craft him into mine because he is the light. But he gives light. And as he gives light to me, it's for me to shine in the darkness as well. To know God is with me, but I'm with him. And I'm about him because this light doesn't come, but from him. 
the first, as we talked about last week, of many to be born again. Not to mention the people behind me that helped lead me, but it gave me the opportunity to shine a light, but then also to start to give that same light to others through preaching and through example and through life. Under your seat, you have a candle. We're gonna sing a song in a second, but I want you to understand what this represents. Will you grab that candle and stand to your feet? I'm gonna start with Eric here because as Christ gives us light, we give it to others. And I want you to pass that same light on to your neighbor. We're gonna fill this place with the light of Christ as we sing. just a fun little time to have some light and fire but this represents what Christ has begun and started in a very dark world but as we come together through him and in him we start to light it up and our world around us is a little more light This light isn't just for you, as Jesus said, don't hide it under a bushel. But it's to be exposed and shown for all to see and shared for others to experience as well. I don't have to stay and live in darkness. As John said, the light came and the world rejected him. And maybe in your life, you feel like you're just kind of flickering, smoking. Maybe you've never allowed this untamable God in your life in a real serious sense. Maybe you're just flickering and barely hanging on. The beautiful thing is his light does not go out. And he can do new things in you even now. Maybe your light flickers and goes out because you think it's just me and Jesus. You need to be reminded the person right next to you going through the same walk, the house is being created in them too. And God is creating this massive house of all of us together. And we need one another to help fan the flame, the gifts and the calling, the passion of Christ in us. That's what this time is about. We're gonna sing a song together and I want you to reflect on your life. God's with me. I know that in Christ, am I with God? And may I make it your prayer today. God, I'm with you. I wanna be about what you're about. Let's sing and reflect together.